Welcome to the latest edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air, the podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com. I am Michael Graham, publisher of Inside Sources and Delaware Valley Journal. So welcome to the podcast, the lovely and talented Guy Shiraki with the uh, Chester County Chamber of Commerce, except for it's not called the Chamber. It's got, it's got some fancy schmancy name. What's your name over there, Guy? We're the Chester County Chamber of Business and Industry. Business and Industry, which is, that's a topic for another day, by the way. When you think of Chester County and you think of, you know, suburbs and, you know, the leafy environs, there's actually a lot of good old fashioned industry in Chester County. It's pretty an amazing story, but let's stick with politics for today if we can. Is that okay? All right, I'll do a commercial for Chester County on another time. Oh, yeah, well, commercial for Chester County, always welcome here on Delaware Valley Journal. Um, but I want to ask you about the four ballot questions that will be uh, on the ballots for the May 18th primary. Some people say it's the only reason to go out and vote in the primary. I don't think the candidates would agree. Um, but uh, could just very quickly scan the four and then we'll talk, of course, about the two that have gotten the most attention. Sure. So I'll save the two that are most uh, relevant to our chamber uh, for the end. So going backwards, Pennsylvanians will see four questions. The fourth of those questions uh, is very much of an inside baseball, uh, allowing for authorization for uh, money to be spent on volunteer fire companies. Um, so that's pretty non-controversial and not very exciting, but important if you care about local fire departments. The third question is a constitutional amendment which uh, I would summarize as trying to say deals with the quality of rights and it attempts to put some of the legislative initiatives that have been put in place to protect equal opportunity and put them into the constitution. And then there are the two questions regarding the governor's authority. So again, continuing to go backward with question four being about fire departments, question three about equality of rights. Right. Question number two, uh, is, is a ballot question to amend the Constitution so that emergency declarations in Pennsylvania may last only 21 days. Any attempt to extend them beyond 21 days would require approval of the legislature. And then question number one, uh, also relating to emergency declarations, uh, in sum and substance, says, uh, should the Pennsylvania Constitution be amended? to allow the legislature by a majority vote in the House and a majority vote in the Senate to end an emergency declaration. Uh, so the, it's one and two that are the mostly the focus of our efforts as they result as they uh, refer back to and directly impact emergency declarations. So I used to run campaigns for a living guy. And one of the things I learned from working with legislators, whether it's a member of Congress or a member of state legislature, is that there were a lot of them who took their role as seriously as they took their role as a partisan. So a perfect example, Senator Robert Byrd of West Virginia. He didn't care if the president was a Democrat or Republican or alien. He was like, look, I'm with the Senate. The Senate has powers. We're going to defend those powers. I have been fascinated by how little conversation I've heard thus far regarding these uh, ballot questions and the attempt to rightly or wrongly, whether you agree or disagree, to bring the General Assembly into a direct role on these emergency decisions. 
from the legislators. In other words, I don't hear a lot of that stuff. Remember high school civics class about the, the divided government and the, you know, the three branches and co-equal. Am I missing that conversation? Well, I think we're looking at it similarly. I, I would just say that I've been struck at how many legislators are using social media, Twitter and Facebook, although I did get a good old fashioned postcard in the mail oh, uh, from, from legislators explaining why we should all vote no. In essence, legislators telling us why they, as legislators, don't want to be involved in emergency declaration, <laughs> which it's not often that politicians don't seek power uh, or accountability or responsibility. So I, I'm taken aback at that. Um, and I think to your point, I, th I think unfortunately one of the many, many uh, damaging impacts of the last 65 weeks above and beyond the virus itself mm -hmm. has been that it has become the norm in states like Pennsylvania where one person has been in charge for 65 weeks. So when you suggest that a legislature should be involved and that there should be hearings and transparency, it almost as if you're, you're trying to reintroduce the idea of a constitutional democracy or a constitutional republic back to people as if it's a new concept, mm -hmm. when in essence, we're just trying to reset the clock to where we thought it was going into 2020. So, Guy Schrock, you've raised two great points, one of which I will be stealing from you soon for a commentary piece for Delaware Valley Journal, uh, which is the idea that we've accepted a new norm. And I want to get to that in a second. But first, so the the partisan aspect and the idea that if you say you don't want a governor to have the sort of power that we've seen in the past, because it's just whatever, fundamentally not small r republican you know it's, it's against how we do things it's not american i perceive that there are a lot of people who hear you must be mad at governor wolf himself are, are you hearing from anyone who's a fan of governor wolf thinks he's done a fine job but still says you know for the future we just shouldn't have governors with this much relatively unrestricted power um i would look at it i would see a similar uh, aspect of what's happened over the last two months as these questions have come forward, and that is the number of small business owners who have said that they are registered Democrats. And, and in this battle, because unfortunately there's become a partisan aspect exactly. of it, it, it's in fact Democratic small businessmen, Democratic businesswomen, who when they explain why they're voting yes, feel compelled to explain, I'm a Democrat, but I think we should do this. Um, so that part has come into it. There has been this partisan aspect where sort of a, a Democratic voters or Democratic business people feel the need to, to talk about why they're doing it because of what happened. Look, Michael, I look at it this way. Um, two years ago, your, your journal could have done an interesting discussion about the role of a governor or the role of a legislature or checks and balances. And right. we could all sat back in our tweed blazers and stroked our chin or sat around the coffee house and said, I wonder, should the executive branch be more powerful, the legislative branch or such as a, what I would say, you know, particularly to folks like you or folks will be listening to this, that, that really think about these things, is that we have had a live 65-week political science experiment that we frequently don't get in politics. You can do them in science, you can go in the lab and try different right. things, but we've had a real live, real live time. 65 week experiment of what happens when only one person is in charge and there are no checks and balances 
there is not accountability. There is not input from the legislature. There's not input really from the public. And what you've had is that the person in power becomes increasingly more powerful, increasingly out of touch, and I would say at times even arrogant. And what you also have is in this case is where many of the decisions were flat out wrong and not wrong in a Republican Democrat or even a left wing right wing perspective, but just flat out right. wrong or harmful. They were harmful to business. And, and I'll use just one example. We continue to move the needle on the percentage of occupancy that's allowed at a restaurant or allowed at a, at a venue like a catering hall. Well, many of the numbers put forth by Governor Wolf, even though they were higher than zero, as a practical matter, were irrelevant. For example, when you say that, well, we're going to allow restaurants to have indoor seating, but they're going to be capped at 25%. Right. Well, as you and I've discussed and, and members of, of the Delaware Valley Journal have discussed, when you're a bistro in Phoenixville or in media or any of the other sort of boroughs and towns, and your seating is 29 people, 25% uh, um, is four people. <laughs> you don't open for that. And again, that's a case where if the governor were talking to legislators or if the governor were really engaged with small business people, even by Zoom, he would have understood that as a practical matter, 25% reopening of a restaurant is the same as zero or 15% opening at Drexelbrook Catering is the same as zero. Right. So that's what we've seen. We had a 65-week you know, political science experiment that have told us the dangers of one-person rule, uh, not only in theory, but in real dangerous harms that can happen. So I, I can hear people who uh, are concerned about these ballot questions, these two ballot questions saying, but even if you don't think he's been perfect, even if you disagree with decisions and, and the 25% example as someone who used to work in the restaurants, you're absolutely right about that. But he's still, we still have to have somebody who in a time of emergency can make decisions. And, and one of the people who's been defending the idea uh, Randy Padfield uh, with the P uh, Pennsylvania Emergency Management uh, Office said that, that sometimes you need to shift money around to pay for critical expenses like the rapid deployment of the National Guard or you know, to, get, uh, you, to, to basically seize things from one place and get them to, say, a hospital or some other place. What do you say to people who are concerned that in your attempt to have a nice civics class outcome of checks and balances, you're actually going to put people in Pennsylvania at harm during those emergency periods when they need a governor with a lot of latitude? I would say a few things. First and foremost, uh, the governor would have absolute authority under this if ballot questions one and two were to pass. Pennsylvania's governor would reserve the right to issue any emergency declaration at any time for anything that he thought was appropriate. A pipeline disruption, power outage, earthquake, ice storm, tornado, flood, hurricane, would have absolute authority. The issue is running it beyond 21 days. So for uh, folks like the Pima director that say the governor has to move quickly, the governor can move at a minute's notice as quickly as he can get pen to paper and, and issue it to the public and do whatever needs to be done uh, to make the lawyers happy, he can issue that emergency declaration. If we're gonna run it for a long period of time, beyond 21 days, you need to consult the legislature. There aren't a lot of emergencies that last past 21 days. And frankly, right. I would submit to you as we sit here in week 65, we're really not in an emergency anymore. We have a health concern, 
we have health standards, but we're not really in an emergency the way any of us thought. You know, I, I woke up this morning, got in my car and went to work. Uh, you go, you know, people are, we are not in March or even April of 2020. We're in week 65. So that would be the first thing I would say is that we are absolutely preserving and protecting uh, the historical right of a governor to intervene when there's a regional or a statewide crisis. The second thing, with all due respect, it is not the place of the Pima director who's entrusted with protecting your listeners, your readers, your family and mine to engage in political debate and to try and scare people. Mm -hmm. That's not his role. His paycheck is there because he's to make sure that there's enough band-aids, bandages, and generators to keep us going in the event of a crisis. I think it is entirely uh, unprofessional and inappropriate for the Pima director to attempt to frighten people and weigh in on a ballot question. I think it's inappropriate, particularly when at the end of the day, he well knows that he has the resources, the manpower, uh, and the budget to, to handle any crisis in the immediate future. And I will tell you, as someone who worked uh, in the governor's office and worked for a member of the Pima board, a suggestion that Pima can't handle an emergency absent an executive order is misleading at best. By the way, uh, you mentioned uh, how long this has been. By the time Election Day rolls around, because in our Delaware Valley newsletter, which goes out twice a week and everyone should subscribe, we track the number of days that the Pennsylvania coronavirus emergency has been in effect. It'll be 437 days of emergency, uh, out of which it could be argued that you know a third was an actual emergency. Uh, a third was a let's be super careful. And a third was thanks to just weather and luck you know, normal. So it's been a, a mixed period. You raised something earlier, though, that I thought was really relevant to this moment, and particularly in Pennsylvania politics, which is the idea of allowing the COVID period, those 437 days, to become the norm. And there are two areas. One is the, what you just mentioned, which is the, the governor's power. That should just be normal for a governor to be making these fiscal decisions and these decisions that affect businesses, and he should do what he wants. And if you don't want to do that, that somehow you're the weirdo. And in fact, no, it, was, it would have been totally weird, you know, 439 days ago for the governor to be doing this. And the other, one is, the other one is elections. It's fascinating to me how much of the conversation about uh, changing Pennsylvania election law or Texas or New York or, uh, or Georgia, anywhere else, is based on the premise that how we did the election in 2020 during the coronavirus, which was a weird election with a lot of weird, and I'm not talking about weird, like suspicious. I just mean, you know, all mm -hmm. of a sudden mailing and all of a sudden you have drop box. What the heck? Whoever had a mail a, a vote drop box before? I used to, once again, I used to run campaigns for a living. Never had a drop box for our votes. That that strange moment when we needed to restrict how we voted because of health reasons is the norm. And then anything you want to do that's not an emergency election is weird. It's it's fascinating how quickly, Guy, this the COVID has become our normal. Well, I, I, I think a common thread, not only to elections, but all this has been the, um, for some people, the acceptance of a lack of transparency, the acceptance of uh, assuming there are experts. You mentioned it with voting and without getting into all of that, but uh, you know, it, the city of Philadelphia being larger in size and population set up drop boxes throughout the city. 
there was a kerfluffle amongst the partisans as to whether you could have uh, party or campaign officials at the drop boxes or at the drop off locations the way you would a polling place. And there was the position of the city of Philadelphia that city designated drop box locations where voters brought ballots was not a polling place. And therefore you could not have <laughs> Democrat or Republican observers. And there was a there was a little dust up over that for about sure. 24 hours and everybody walked away and said, oh, well, OK. So we had these boxes dropped off around, you know, as if they were the St. Vincent de Paul Society boxes where you dropped off, you know, uh, used exactly. clothing. You assume that someone would take care of them. And the parallel here is is that we, you know, because I think about this a lot and our chamber has been very focused on this and because we've talked to thousands of businesses, we become very focused on this issue, but we forget the 437 day ride. Remember back to the fact that Governor Wolf spent not days or weeks, but months never having anything resembling a press conference. By that I mean, standing in a room, standing outdoors, standing in his living room, right. standing in the yard, with live members of the media asking live questions. One, like yourself, had to type or text a question to a staff member, and then that staff member, either you know, sort of like bingo balls, would decide whether to pull out your question or not. You never got to explain the nuance. You never got to explain a follow-up. Of all people, Andrew Cuomo, held live press conferences <laughs> in New York State that what was believed at the time when at New York State was the epicenter of the virus growth, growing infinitely faster mm -hmm. and spreading much quicker than anything in Pennsylvania. And he was having. So we 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 have come to accept this sort of lack of transparency. And the final point on the transparency issue is as we sit here today and and, and do this podcast. The governor a week prior announced that on May 31st, most restrictions would go away. He didn't explain why, and he didn't explain what could happen between now and May 31st that might cause him to speed them up or pause mm -hmm. them. He didn't explain what might reinstate them. And again, some people were simply saying, oh, well, thank goodness, May 31st, I can go to my favorite restaurant or right. I can we can we can book Susie's graduation party for this summer without understanding the underlying concern that it bothered us, which is no explanation as to why we why on May 8th we announced the things would get better on May 31st. What magic formula, <laughs> but also what caused that and, and not really. So, Michael, that's why I come back to the one of the troubling aspects to me has been this lack of transparency that we've accepted over the last year as experts and in Pennsylvania, largely the governor have been able to just tell us to do things without really having to show the work. You know, I went to Catholic school and in math class, you could not, if somebody said, what's five X, I just couldn't say seven. <laughs> the teacher, the nun would say, show the work. Well, for the last 65 weeks, the governor hasn't shown the work. Mm -hmm. He hasn't explained why. And that's a dangerous, dangerous, troubling aspect. See that that's the your disadvantage. I went to an evangelical school and I was able to claim divine uh, revelation as my. Well, that's that, how I knew it was seven. So that was my. Maybe that was my. I, 
I, I hope that the governor hasn't been living by divine intervention because <laughs> I think that divine has made mistakes over the last 65 weeks. Well, there's so much more that we could talk about, and I'm sure we will in the future about the, uh, you know, the balance between the legislative branch and the governor and about the limits of power, and the need for transparency. Uh, you recall that there was a great conversation, uh, a terrible conversation, if you will, about business owners wondering why their competitor down the street was open by a governor's fiat and they were not. And we'll cover that all in the future. But I want to give you this one last minute in the podcast, uh, Guy, to make your pitch for why an average citizen living in the Delaware Valley should, on uh, primary day, take the time to head to the ballot and vote on these questions. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about why it's important to vote yes. I would say there are several reasons. First is that we have seen the dangers firsthand as to what happens when one person has all the decision-making account uh, authority. That person becomes unaccountable, out of touch, uh, with no access to be or no opportunity to be second-guessed or have consultation. What does that mean? Governor Wolf's decisions have led us down a path where Pennsylvania's unemployment rate is two points higher than the national average. So you say, okay, well, we sacrificed jobs in the economy, but we made ourselves safer. Well, no, we didn't. By the governor's own data, Pennsylvania's rate of infection and Pennsylvania's rate of death for people over 65 are higher than the national average. And in all the statistics I just cited are far worse than the state of Florida in both in terms of death and unemployment rate. So the first and foremost is we've seen it doesn't work. And the second is this, everyone telling you to vote no is someone in a decision, uh, in a decision-making role or they've protected the people in the decision-making role. Everyone asking you to vote yes has run a small business, operated a business, or has suffered the harms firsthand of having that shutdown take place. Remember that in Pennsylvania, every single aspect of our lives has been regulated at some point for 65 weeks. There was a time where we were told we couldn't go outdoors and go to parks. We couldn't go to work. We couldn't go to school. We couldn't participate in activities. No one person should ever have that sole authority to govern every part of our lives indefinitely. So as you go into the ballot box, you'll see four questions. The first two are about changing the balance of power in Pennsylvania. It's about allowing people to reopen and making sure that if we're ever faced with anything like this again, or our children are ever faced with anything like this again, we'll approach it in a thoughtful, transparent way. The only way to guarantee not only reopening now, but transparency and, and uh, collegiality and cooperation in the future is to vote yes on questions one and two. Thank you. Guy Shiraki with the uh, Chester County Chamber of Commerce. I also want to note that we have repeatedly begged opponents of uh, question one and two to uh, talk to us either for the Delaware Valley Journal or for the podcast and have yet to got a yet, get a yes. In fact, Guy, I, we have a couple of PR friends who are involved in politics. We asked them, hey, you get your clients. And the, no, the, nobody would do it. So I think that's fascinating right there. For more information, you can go to voteyespa.com. I got that right, Guy? Vote yes, a vote yes, PA.com and ours hey. is vote yes, Chesco.org. I was about to say, you've also got vote yes, Chesco.org. So get more information, cast an informed ballot, uh, and of course, stay tuned to the Delaware Valley Journal on the air.